This is Vermont Edition. I'm Jane Lindholm. This week, people around the world have been marking Holocaust Remembrance Day, or Yom HaShoah in Hebrew. Shoah is the Hebrew word meaning catastrophe, denoting the catastrophic annihilation of European Jews during World War II, when six million were killed. International Holocaust Remembrance Day is in January, but in 1979, Congress established Days of Remembrance that usually take place between April and early May and correspond to Israel's annual Holocaust Remembrance Day. Vermont communities have been marking the occasion with ceremonies, religious services, and readings. And today, we're going to mark Yom HaShoah on Vermont Edition. We're joined today by Rabbi David Feinsilber of the Jewish Community of Greater Stowe. Rabbi David, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. And by Jack Mayer, a Middlebury pediatrician and author whose two books focus on stories of survival and redemption during the Holocaust. Jack, it's a pleasure to have you back on Vermont Edition. Thank you, Jane. Rabbi David, why is it important to have a day that is designated for remembrance? It's a day to grieve. It's a day to take time and think about the stories of our people, what we went through, the history We light candles. It's a memorial. We hear stories of survivors uh, as children of survivors, grandchildren, survivors themselves, and we say prayers. This year we honored Ellie Wiesel's life uh, in our memorial service and heard uh, haunting quotes from him. He died last summer. Yeah. And is it a religious day or more of a, a community day, a, a cultural day, a day of remembrance that is um, valid r- regardless of what religion you practice? You know, it's a it's a day to mark for Jews, uh, Yom HaShoah, but we mark it with other people. We gather together with our Greater Stowe Interfaith Coalition uh, by way of showing that we're reaching out, that we're together to do this. Um, For Jews, uh, religion, culture, it's all mixed together. So the the way we come together is uh, is in all ways and means, it means different things for different people. Jack, can you talk a little bit about what the uh, occasion was like in Middlebury you participated? Yes, uh, we had at, at the college at Mead Chapel a uh, commemoration, um, which was very moving. And um, uh, I, I was asked to give a talk, which um, which which I I called "Learning from Yesterday, Considering Today, and Contemplating Tomorrow," um, in terms of expanding the commemoration of of the Shoah of the of the Holocaust. Um, to thinking in terms of what do we have to be considering as citizens to prevent recurrence. It's as George Santayana, the Spanish writer, said, those who do not learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Um, and I think we we hear echoes of that history today, and it is really, it is really critical for us to consider that. Was that the the sort of uh, thread line or through line in the occasion that w- that you had in Middlebury? This idea of connecting the past to the present. Yes, I think it's it's really an important uh, aspect of this. Is that we we remember, we grieve, we we honor the the victims and the survivors, um, but that we also have a prospective view of this uh, of this day and this 
this commemoration and what it means. Listeners, we're going to be hearing stories today, and we're talking about um, the Holocaust. We're remembering victims and survivors and talking, as uh, Jack Mayer was saying, about what we should be recognizing today, what we should be noticing about the world today. Rabbi David, what was your ceremony like? Well, we gathered together in our community center in Stowe. Uh, we had uh, different faiths reading different quotes from Elie Wiesel. Uh, we had uh, Baha'i, different Christian faiths, and our community of Jews gathering together. Um, Tibetan Buddhist stood up at one point uh, and shared uh, her thoughts on compassion. Uh, we heard uh, real support from Father Rick Swanson uh, for the connections that bind us, Jews to Christians uh, and people of all faiths. Uh, and uh, when we lit candles, we chose as a community to light 12 candles. We began with six for the six million Jews. Uh, we then lit five candles for the other five million uh, peoples uh, who were killed at the hands of the Nazis, um, socialists, uh, Catholics, gypsies, trade unionists, communists, homosexuals, people with disabilities, political prisoners, people who actively resisted the Nazis. Um, and we lit those five candles and for them. Uh, and then we uh, concluded with one more candle for the righteous Gentiles. Uh, who helped save countless lives and uh, who also many of which were caught. There uh, were people there at your services who had their own stories to tell and their own family history. Uh, one of them was Erica Hecht of Stowe. Now, the youngest people who survived and remember the Holocaust are, of course, getting older, and there's a real urgency in listening to and recording their stories. And many survivors make a point of talking with school classes and community groups to keep this history alive. Erica Hecht was born in Hungary in 1934 and describes her childhood war memories as gruesome. That's the word she uses. But in addition to her memories of survival, Hecht's story is a complicated one about her own religious identity as a Jew. When she was a toddler in the late 1930s, her mother converted from Judaism to Catholicism in an attempt to protect her family from persecution. Hecht's family fled to Hungary or fled Hungary for Austria after the war, and she was also sent to school in England. And throughout all of these years of relocation, her two religious identities shaped her adolescence and young adulthood as her parents tried to both preserve and hide their Judaism well after the war. Uh, Erica Hecht has a clear memory of her mother's conversion in a Catholic church in Budapest in 1937 when she was three and a half years old. And she tells part of her story from there. And I remember that she had some tears coming out of her eyes, too. And she kept on saying, it's all right, everything will be all right. The bastards can't have anything on us anymore. We are Christians. We are Christians. They cannot hurt us. And I remember that. And a couple of years passed after that, when nothing much happened, because Hungary was the last one to really get occupied by Germany or, or occupied by the Nazis or by the Nazis' friends in Hungary. 
So a couple of years, everything was fine, but then I started school. And the first year was okay. I went to Catholic religious classes, and that was fine. But by the time I got into second grade, I had to wear a yellow star. So now I was going to school with a yellow star, going to Catholic religion classes. It was confusing. Oh, I knew I was Jewish. There was no doubt in my mind. I always knew at that time, I knew that I had to keep that quiet. But I also knew I was a Catholic. And then they sent me to school in England, and they sent me to a convent school. And that really indoctrinated me to the nth degree. And by, by the time I was 15, 16, I was going to be a nun. I, defin- I was definite that I had, the, I had the calling when I went to medical school. That's when I really started to develop my own recognition of being Jewish, and that's never going to stop. It was very difficult because my family at first decided not to be openly Jewish because they thought it would happen again and it was more safe. But by the time I went to university, I couldn't stand it, so I, I did what I call my... I came out and uh, I confessed to being uh, Jewish in a big classroom one day with 80 people. This was second year medical school. Me and another girl and the four boys were very friendly. We studied together, we were dissecting together. We were a little clan, a little group. And I listened to them for two days at one point, because when you dissect, you're sitting there for eight hours, and you talk. And I, at one point, I listened to them for two days, talking about the war, and talking about the fact that all that bull that you hear about the Holocaust and about concentration camps, that, that, that's how they, they didn't exist. It's impossible. That's all tales that they're making up. Those Jews are making tales up again just to get money and to get away with it and to get... Com- this went on for two days, and I kept quiet. I was walking to school when I knew that if they bring it up again, it's going to be fireworks. And they brought it up again. They were talking about it. And what they were saying was two of my friends who were from very good Austrian families, they were saying that the proof that this could not have been true is because their parents, their fathers were in the army, and they would have never stood for it. They are such gentlemen. One of them was a famous lawyer. The other one was a famous doctor. It's impossible. This could not have happened because their parents would have never allowed it to happen. And when I heard that, I exploded. I literally exploded. I got up, and there was 80 people in that room, 78 or something. And I just exploded. And I started, I said, you all listen to me. And I told them being Jewish is a reality, and the fact that I lost 18 people in the Holocaust to concentration camps. You know concentration camps that you say didn't exist? They killed my cousins. They killed my aunt and uncle. They killed everybody, you know, 18 people in my family. And then I said something, I don't know where it came from, that it was a kind of wisdom that I, I never thought about it before, but it just came. And I said, you know why I'm standing here saying all this, knowing that you'll all hate me as a Jew, but I'm a Jew. And if you don't stop believing all the false information that you're getting, it can happen again, and that's why I'm talking. It cannot and must not happen again, and you have to wake up and see the truth. And I walked out of the room. 
feeling about 80 knives in my back and then starting to throw up and I couldn't stop for two days. It was like my whole, everything that was repressed came out. And so that's, that's, that's what happened. That's how I became Jewish again. Well, I wasn't going to tell her, but you could never keep a secret from my mother. The minute I went home, she said to me, what happened? And I told her. And she, she called me an idiot. She said, you idiot. You killed your future. She was convinced that I killed my future. And to a certain point, I mean, she was right, because all the kids left, all my friends left. Nobody wanted to be with me. So life wasn't that simple that way in Austria in the 50s. It was difficult because uh, I couldn't date anybody, except if I could. There were some of the older, some of the older guys who came back from the war, and came back to school. I I got friendly with them. They got friendly with me. They had a completely different outlook. They weren't kids, and they saw it, so they knew it, and and it was different. But um, my mother had a problem with that. I couldn't bring them home because she said. How can you be sure he didn't kill my father? How can you be sure he wasn't responsible for your cousin's death? And she had this whole, you know, survivor, Holocaust survival attitude about you can't, you can't, you can't go out with a non-Jew. But there were no Jews to go out with. And if they were, they were Jewish, and I was converted still on paper. I mean, it was a pretty confusing existence. It really was. But I just, I don't know, I navigated through it. That was Erica Hecht of Stowe, a Holocaust survivor who told our story to our producer, Patty Daniels. There is much, much more to Hecht's story, and we really encourage you to listen. There's an extended interview with her at vpr.net slash Vermont Edition. And we'd also love for you to share your own family stories and personal reflections with us. You can do it at our website, vpr.net slash Vermont Edition. You can send us an email. Our email address is vermontedition at vpr.net. Rabbi David, Erica Hecht is a member of your congregation. Mm -hmm. And at the Yom HaShoah ceremony on Sunday, a priest from Stowe, as you said, participated in the service. And Erica Hecht told our producer that it was deeply moving for her to be able to see these two parts of her religious identity come together in observation and observance of the Holocaust. As you were listening to Erica tell her story, I could see that it was making you very emotional. For me, it's so personal. I mean, to talk about all of this, to talk about uh, history, to talk about today, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's part of my story. It's who I am. It's my family. It's the story of my Zadie, my grandfather, and my grandmother, my Bubby. They were married February 1st, 1939. And they didn't have much of a honeymoon. September 39, Germany invaded Poland. My grandfather was in the Polish army at the time. He shared a vivid memory of him on horseback in a field, bombs flying, and there was nowhere to go. I mean, how does a, how does a horseback army uh, defeat 
you know, the machinery, the technologically advanced German army. So his commander, who, as we would say uh, in Hebrew, he had some seichel, he had some good thinking, and said, uh, get out of here, sent his troops away. And my Zaidi went home, and he said, it's time to go. And his family didn't leave with him, he left his parents behind, and he went with my bubby, uh, my grandmother, and they fled to a border town near Russia. And they were there for several months, and in the middle of the night, the Russians rounded up four or five blocks of people. They were put on a train. They didn't know where they were going. They ended up in Siberia. And he worked there uh, chopping wood. Uh, and that's where my father was born. Uh, my aunt was born in a DP camp, a displaced persons camp after the war. And eventually they made their way to Canada, thank God, uh, settling in Montreal. Uh, I ha We've been doing a lot of work at our community center around refugees, uh, and I had this incredible realization. My family are refugees. You know, it's, it hadn't dawned on me until I thought and heard about the stories of people coming now that that's what my family uh, experienced. Uh, and unfortunately, my, my Zadie lost over 200 family members and he was the sole survivor that, you know, that we know uh, in his family. So thinking about all of this stuff and trying to lead your congregation and your community while also reflecting on your own personal history and your story, I, I mean, it must be difficult, but, but how do you then summon um, leadership or, the, or, or a way to help guide others through what you're experiencing as well? Well, it's not easy. Uh, but I'm emboldened. I mean, it, it's amazing the people in our congregation and uh, the stories that they share, that their willingness to stand up and create this exhibit uh, of our members and uh, how they survived and their stories. Uh, it It just, you know, we're in we're in this together. Uh, it's it's so important to remember. I mean, that's a staple. It's it's what what we're told as Jews: remembrance, zikaron. It's uh, it's everything to us, embedded in our whole culture. Um, and so, especially around the Holocaust, the Shoah. I think for me, it's important on two levels to remember uh, two pieces. One, just the Jewishness of the Holocaust, uh, the thousands of years of anti-Semitism. Um, we need to remember that the U.S. had uh, nearly closed its borders during World War II, uh, that my people uh, in part were murdered because of Hitler, of course, but also because the borders were closed here. Uh, and you know it's not it's not like anti-Semitism has gone away. Uh, it's it's still around since November. There have been over a hundred swastikas publicly displayed uh, around the U.S. Dozens of threats. Um, 
So for me, it's really important to to lead us through that trauma uh, to grieve uh, because it's because uh, we need to heal still uh, from that. Uh, and we need to keep standing up for ourselves and we need to draw people in to stand up with us. Um, and the, the second piece that's important for me is to remember that it wasn't just Jews that were targeted. You know, so to hold both of those. Um, so the Martin Niemöller quote uh, that's so famous, uh, first they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. This prominent Protestant pastor who was in concentration camp for much of Nazi rule. So for me, it's important to remember all those that were targeted and to remember that oppression works against all of us. We're intertwined. Uh, so to tell the stories of my people and, uh, and also of all those who were targeted. And uh, we see that today, uh, how Muslims are uh, being attacked and at the same time, Jews are being attacked. And when Jews are attacked, Muslims are attacked, and people of color and refugees and LGBTQ, uh, working class. I mean, uh, and the, the most uh, attacks are happening in the schools. So, you know, it's about our kids. It's about our children. We're marking Holocaust Remembrance Day today, Yom HaShoah, on Vermont Edition, and hearing stories, thinking about these things. That's Rabbi David Fainsilber of the Jewish Community of Greater Stowe. We're also talking with Dr. Jack Mayer from Middlebury. And Jack, you have some family history as well that we'd love to hear about. And listeners, if you would like to share your story or ask a question, you can post a note on the Vermont Edition page at vpr.net. Today we're talking with Jack Mayer, a Middlebury author whose books focus on stories of survival and redemption during the Holocaust, and with Rabbi David Feinsilber of the Jewish Community of Greater Stowe. We've been hearing a little bit uh, of Rabbi David's story and about why he thinks remembrance is so important, not just to honor the past and honor people, but also to think about our presence. Uh, I know that that is true for uh, Dr. Jack Mayer as well. And Jack, I'd love for you to share a little bit of your personal history and how that uh, helps you reflect uh, during Yom Yom HaShoah. Well, uh, my parents narrowly escaped the Holocaust. Um, my grandfather was arrested on Kristallnacht, was taken to Dachau, and I didn't learn this until I was in my 20s. So I grew up with that um, that kind of silence about the Holocaust. It was kind of a post-traumatic stress disorder that I think most everybody in the world shared after the, um, after the Holocaust. Um, we did lose other family members in, in the Holocaust. Um, uh, growing up, I felt the, the the presence of the Holocaust. It was kind of a hushed, awkward conversation among adults who didn't particularly want to share it with my brother and I. Uh, my parents were interviewed by uh, for the Steven Spielberg Shoah Project in the year 2000, and that was the first time that my mother brought out these artifacts. Um, her identity paper is marked Jew, and her nursing certificate from the Frank- Frankfurt uh, Nursing School with swastikas on it. 
she had never shown these to my brother and I. Um, so I I grew up with that, um, with the weight of of the Holocaust and the question of what is my, um, what's my mission? What's my uh, what's my charge for dealing with the uh, with the the aftermath of the Holocaust um, and the history of the Holocaust and. Um, so in, in writing these two books, one about the Warsaw Ghetto, about Irena Sendler, about a, a Holocaust rescuer, and a, uh, about three teenagers from Kansas who discovered her forgotten story, again, the silence about the Holocaust, which was huge in Poland, and um, and then writing my new book, which is a historical fiction based on the history of how uh, Ger- Germany's Weimar democracy became a Nazi dictatorship, which really to... Um, to explore how it is that a an enlightened society like Germany could then um, and how people could choose Hitler because the Nazis were elected they they came to power through legal processes um, and I, th- I think we have a tendency to project evil onto others as if we're somehow not capable of it ourselves and of course that's not the case. And we see genocide f- recurring with sickening regularity in Darfur and Bosnia and Rwanda and, and Yemen and Syria. Um, so it, it has become, my, I mean, I, I think that's the way I've um, taken this mission on myself as a storyteller. And one of the things Elie Wiesel says is that when, when you listen to a witness, you become a witness. Um, and uh, I also, it's important in talking with this next generation of young people, how how do we teach the Holocaust to them in a meaningful way, something that has contemporary meaning for them as well. And I think that's where the issue of refugees and immigrants becomes so important. Because again, we are called upon to make some grave moral decisions um, about um, uh, 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 about our future and about the future of other people. And again, as Pastor Niemöller said, they they came came for the Syrians. Well, next they'll come for us also and for our children. And um, we need to be able to immunize um, uh, our our social fabric against recurrences that uh, that that seem to occur with with regularity. Um, we're going to talk more about that, about uh, connections to the present day that you see and that other listeners see. Uh, let's talk to some of our callers, though, here uh, who are, are sharing their thoughts with us as well. Mark is calling in from Stowe. Hi, Mark. Go right ahead. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, you know, growing up in the, in, in the United States with what we thought was no Holocaust family members, it was, the Holocaust was really hidden from us as children. And it wasn't anything that was discussed, and you know we were always told to be strong, but it was really something that we didn't know about, and really it wasn't until until we were you know long out of grade school, out of high school, that it was even a discussion that was faced. So in many ways, um, at least among the American Jewish community I grew up in, um, it was it was just just something that was hidden. And, and and almost ashamed that no one fought back. Um, so that was, I thought, the, the comment that I saw growing up. Mark, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate hearing from you. Let's hear from Robert calling in from Barton. Hi, Robert. You're on the air. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, 
there, it's wonderful that you are taking this time to commemorate the Holocaust because there have been, unfortunately, a number of Holocausts throughout human history. It just points out that the veneer of civilization that coats all of us is terribly thin. And we need to speak out and speak up. Those were my comments. Thank you. Robert, I appreciate hearing from you as well. Martha is calling in from Burlington. Hi, Martha. Yes, uh, good afternoon, and thank you for David and and Jack to uh, remind us to be present in our own time. My father was branded at Auschwitz 108-268. My mother is a, uh, escaped from Warsaw Ghetto. Those are my credentials. As I read the newspapers today, I cringe when I read about the mother of all bombs, an American military prowess. It makes me wonder how we, as a nation, are behaving in our own times. And I'm grateful to both Dr. Mayer and to Rabbi David to remind us to be present by being present and vocal and engaged, we honor those who perished, our family members who perished, and that we forever grieve. Just yesterday, for instance, I received a communication out of the blue from Poland um, by a man who is related to a, 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 a jurist that my father was with in Auschwitz, a man of tremendous humanity, uh, how hard it was to behave with humaneness under such circumstances. So there are always people who can behave nobly in, in horrific circumstances, and that's the challenge to us in our own time. I won't say any more because I've said too much, but you hear my heart and my my plea for us as a nation. Thank you. Martha, thank you. We do hear your heart. I really appreciate that and you. Heidi Fishman lives in Norwich. She's just written her mother's memoir of the Holocaust as a fictionalized story. So the events and the people are real and true. The dialogue is imagined. It's called Tutti's Promise, a novel based on a family's true story of courage and hope during the Holocaust. It's meant for young readers, and Heidi's on the line with us now. Hi, Heidi. Welcome to Vermont Edition. Thank you, Jane. It's good to be here. So what made you want to tell your mother's story and, and make sure that it was out there? Well, my mother, uh, she goes to schools and she tells her story. And I invited her from Connecticut, uh, from Connecticut to come up here and talk at my children's school when my daughter was in middle school. And I was, I was just amazed at how the children were enthralled with her story. I grew up in a Jewish community, but I now live in a community that's not very Jewish. There's not a lot of Jewish children at the school where my kids went. They had never met a survivor, and I realized the story needs to get beyond the Jewish community and beyond the survivor community. And the only way to do that would be to record it and to write it and make it accessible. When your mother tells her story to school groups, you know, I imagine there's power in in telling and um, in sharing, but there's also pain. How does she do that? 
somehow she puts the emotion behind her. I think it's a, maybe a little bit of dissociation and a little bit of um, the fact that her parents really protected her. She was young. She was five when the war started. Uh, she went through two concentration camps. She was 10 at Liberation. And her parents did a terrific job of protecting her and her younger brother and sheltering them from the worst things. My mother doesn't remember seeing anybody die. So my grandmother did something amazing. Your story, though, Heidi, is meant for young readers. So how do you um, both uh, protect innocence but also share the truth and, and share powerful and horrific stories? The story is full of hope. It's full of people that helped the family. There's a lot of upstanders. There's a lot of um, danger, and yet Tootie, as a child, doing things to help the family, which are all things she really did. Uh, she kept a very important secret um, that her father asked her to keep. She and, and it's something I think children can relate to because they can say, hey, I remember being seven, I remember being eight wow, that would have been hard to do. And through this story, it, it's one of the very few Holocaust stories that has more triumph than tragedy. Most of this family survived. Heidi Fishman's book, it's based on her mother's story. It's called Tutty's Promise, a novel based on a family's true story of courage and hope during the Holocaust. Just coming out now. Heidi, thank you for talking with us, and, and good luck with the book, and, and for, thank you for sharing your mother's story. You're welcome, and thank you. Today we're marking Holocaust Remembrance with Rabbi David Feinsilber of the Jewish Community of Greater Stowe and Middlebury author and pediatrician Dr. Jack Mayer, whose books focus on stories of survival and redemption during the Holocaust. We're hearing some of your thoughts and stories, listeners, as well. You can post a note on the Vermont Edition page at vpr.net or email vermontedition at vpr.net. Mish is calling in from Plainfield. Hi, Mish. Go ahead. Hello. Hi. Um, hello, Rabbi David. This is Nish. Hi, Nish. Um, I am very touched by the comments from everyone and want to chip in a little story and just the motto of today. Uh, the story is that my father, a Lithuanian Russian-speaking Jew, uh, went to Canada, and he was so traumatized by the Holocaust in which we lost relatives, specifically in the Warsaw Ghetto, um, that he insisted on raising my sister and me as Catholics, not as Jews. And it wasn't until I was 35 years old that I rediscovered my Jewish roots, and over the years then uh, formally converted, because my mother was not Jewish, and had been very happily Jewish ever since, as I think Rabbi Feinsilber will attest. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, just to finish uh, quickly, many people have said the same thing. We will not forget. Never will this happen again. And I mean, as all of us have, we will not allow this kind of treatment of human beings to be applied to anybody, not just Jews. But we will support everyone, everyone's rights, everyone's uh, decent treatment. 
And uh, I, I wish I say toda raba to all of all of the speakers. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Mish, thanks for calling in. I appreciate hearing from you. Let's hear from Mike in Montpelier. Hi, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Good. So, I uh, I was actually raised down in Massachusetts in a uh, very heavily Jewish community. I went to a Jewish day school from kindergarten to eighth grade and even took a trip to Israel with my class. And I moved up to Vermont about two years ago, and I guess it was just kind of almost shocking to me how so many of my friends up here don't even know anybody else who is Jewish when I come from a place where most of the high school, you everybody either knew somebody who was Jewish, had a family member, or... Like, we all kind of came together as a community, and we even had a, a fair amount of Gentiles playing for our JCC basketball team, and that's kind of how all the kids started off. So I guess my question's kind of for the rabbi as to what we can do up here to make it more of a common thing, having Jewish friends and uh, doing, more, doing more with the Gentile community. Mike, thanks for your call. I appreciate that. Rabbi David? Uh, well, come on down to our community center and uh, come, uh, come be part uh, of, of the Jewish community. We are you talking to Mike or to, to everyone there? Everyone and Mike. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting. We're doing a lot of work ar- around building community for children. Uh, and building our religious school. And uh, there are kids, families who drive an hour to come uh, on a Wednesday afternoon to be part of the experience, educational experience. And they're the only Jews in their public school classes. And so to be able to come together and be be with other Jews is, is very special for them and special for us. Jack, what do you think about what Mike was talking about there? Well, I think I think we need a larger ecumenical sense of um, of our community of human beings. Um, you know, I think the um, one of the sort of important things for me about uh, thinking about this history is that really the Holocaust started before a single Jew was murdered. It began in the Weimar democracy after World War I, and that's where the Nazis started to flourish, and that's where they could have been stopped. Um, and, um, you know, uh, w- w- the, the way I ended my remarks at the Yom HaShoah service um, at, at Middlebury on Sunday was, was this way, and, and it, it, it's based on... When I was writing my books, the thought that hung over my head all the time was, what would I have done if I were in those situations um, during during the war? And so I ended it this way. It is our charge to answer what would I have done with, here's what I will do to affirm justice, decency, respect for all people, tolerance, and compassion as the expected norms of community because not to do so would invite the repetition of painful history, because not to do so would be unbearable. Mm. You, in your talk, though, you you draw a a very um, 
bold line. You know, you say this is not the past, and you you do talk about the fact that um, the the failure started before a single Jew was killed. You, you you describe Hitler as coming to power because he said he would make Germany great again. I mean, that is not a subtle reminder or a subtle mention of what you see happening today. Do you do you see? things in American culture that trouble you today? I do. And uh, a a German uh, journalist and and, uh, New York Times columnist, Jochen Bittner, um, identified four uh, conditions that allowed for the the rise of the the Third Reich. Um, One was loss uh, loss of trust in institutions, political blunders, economic distress, and social humiliation. And I would posit that though that we all right, we have those four conditions with us today in one form or another. Now, that being said, history may be cyclical, but it never, it never recurs identically. So we, we don't know how this will play out, but we certainly are being faced with some of the same stresses that allowed this sort of populist, nationalist, xenophobic, racist, misogynistic uh, undercurrent to, uh, to, to be chosen by the German people into a dictatorship. You know, Rabbi David, you you also draw parallels to today, and and you mentioned this line um, in in addressing your congregants. You say, once we helped refugees because they were Jewish, today we help refugees because we are Jewish. Mm -hmm. So what are you seeing today in how, um, you know, how how to address some of the wrongs or some of the, the difficulties in this world? So that's a quote from Hayas, which was formerly known as Hebrew uh, immigrant Aid Society. Uh, they've been doing work for, I think, about a century of bringing, bringing uh, refugees to the United States. Um, and so we've worked with them. Uh, we've worked with the Vermont Refugee Resettlement Program uh, and done a lot of thinking around how can we support uh, refugees here in Vermont. Um, and it's just it's just unbelievable uh, what's happening around uh, refugees. I'm I'm concerned. I'm very worried uh, about what the future holds um, around that issue. I know, Rabbi David, that you were hoping that we could conclude today with uh, a prayer that you brought that you wanted to share with everybody. Would you like to share that? Thank you. It's a memorial prayer uh, to God, full of compassion. Uh, it's a prayer said uh, in memorial of all those souls who were lost. El malerachamim shochein bamromim God, full of compassion, defender of widows and mother of orphans, as with all people, be not silent or restrained regarding the blood which was spilled like water. Grant proper rest beneath the wings of your presence for the souls of multitudes of millions, children, men, women who were killed and slaughtered and burnt and suffocated and buried alive. May the Garden of Eden be their resting place. Therefore, may the Master of Mercy shelter them in the shelter of your wings for eternity and bind their souls with the bond of life, Vinomar, and let us say Amen. 
David Feinsilber is rabbi of the Jewish community of Greater Stowe. Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for sharing your stories and your presence today. Thank you. Jack Mayer is a Middlebury pediatrician and an author. His books focus on stories of survival and redemption, this question of what would you do? Uh, Jack, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Jane. And two of the people we heard from this hour have public talks this week, Erica Hecht of Stowe and Heidi Fishman of Norwich. You can find details online at vpr.net and listen to extended interviews we have posted there this afternoon.